Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. One of my favorite stories I want to read to you this morning is from uh, Ken Davis's book, Lighten Up. It's got a great name. Um, the uh, story is this. He says, a woman happened to be looking out the window of her home one day. She was horrified to see her German shepherd shaking the life out of the neighbor's rabbit. Her family had been quarreling with these neighbors, and this was certainly going to make matters worse. She grabbed the broom, ran outside, pummeled the pooch until he dropped the rabbit, now covered with dog spit and extremely dead. After a moment's consideration, the woman lifted the rabbit with the end of the broom, brought it into the house. She dumped its lifeless body into the bathtub and turned on the shower. And when the water running off the rabbit was clean, she rolled him over and rinsed the other side. Now she had a plan. She found her hair dryer and blew the rabbit dry. Using an old comb, she groomed the rabbit until he looked pretty good. Then, when the neighbor wasn't looking, she hopped over the fence, snuck across the backyard, popped him up into his cage, and no way was she going to take the blame for this thing. About an hour later, she heard screams coming from her neighbor's yard. She ran outside pretending she didn't know what was going on. What's happened? She asked innocently. Her neighbor came running to the fence. All the blood had drained out of her face. Our rabbit. Our rabbit, she blubbered. He died two weeks ago. We buried him and now he's back. (laughs) Love that story. A little resurrection story for you on Easter Sunday morning. Now, I read that story because for a lot of people, belief in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is about as believable as it is for that dead rabbit. There's a lot of people who love Jesus. They like his teachings. They believe he did a lot of good and, and, and brought a lot of good things to this world, that he helped a lot of people, that he made a world of difference. And a lot of people want to take his teachings as, as a philosophy for their own lives. When it, when it comes to the resurrection, it's just like that's a little too much. I, I like Jesus. I like what he taught. I like what he said. I like what he did. But the resurrection, that's... That's a bit too much for me. And if you're here this morning and that kind of fits where you are at, I want to tell you I am glad that you are here. And I also wanted to know you are not alone. Because the truth is, on that first Easter Sunday morning, even his closest followers didn't believe it. They had all kinds of questions and doubt about the whole thing. So if you've got some doubts about all that, I'm glad you're here this morning because you are in good company. And, and, and I cannot prove to you the resurrection because I can't take you back 2,000 years and prove it to you. I really can't do that. But I think there's a case that could be made for it because after all, if you think about it, like if you were trying to start a new religion, wouldn't you at least make the believers believe that it happened? <laughs> That's the thing. That would, would you find it through the Easter story? Jesus spends most of Easter and actually the next five weeks showing up and showing people that he really is alive because they can't believe it. It's it's unbelievable. Oh, yeah, they believed that there would be a resurrection, that someday, someday everybody who was dead dead in in God would rise from the dead, but, but not like three days later and we would all see it. Nobody expected the resurrection. 
When Peter, his closest follower, went and went to the empty tomb and came away, he wondered what had happened, Luke tells us. When the women who had seen the empty tomb and, and seen the angels came and reported it back to the disciples, they thought they were talking nonsense. They thought they were delirious. Nobody believed it. Nobody said, see, I told you so. They all had their doubts. So if you're here this morning and you've got your doubts, you're not alone. Most of us are familiar with the Easter morning message. We know the story about the women and the tomb and the empty tomb and the angels and all that kind of stuff. What most of us don't know is a little bit later. And Luke is the only one who writes this story. And it's, it's unique to his, his account of Jesus' life and ministry. And we have been, for the last five or six months, going through the whole book of Luke from chapter 1 to chapter 24. And today we're finishing up with the resurrection. And there's something in Luke's gospel that's not in Mark's or Matthew's or John's. It's, it's a unique story. It's only found in Luke. And I want to take a look at it this morning because there's some interesting things about this. So if you, um, if you want to pull out one of the Bibles that are in the seats next to you, feel free to grab one of ours. Um, if you've got an iPad or, or an iPhone um, or some inferior device, um, feel free to pull that out. We're going to be reading... I know. Luke 24. We're going to be re- begin reading verse 13. Now that same day... Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. They were kept from recognizing him. We asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. What is more? It's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe that all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem, where they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true, it's true, the Lord has risen. Now that's an interesting story. 
And, and it's kind of an odd little story, and you kind of wonder, as I was thinking about it this week and reading through it, why does Luke add this story? Why, why does he add this part to that Easter resurrection story? Because he's the only one that does. Why does he put it? And, and further about that, why does God want us to know this story? What, what is it that he wants us to understand? And I think one of the things about all of this is understand your life is a story. Your life, my life, is a story. It's not, life is not like a mathematical formula where you just plug in all the right numbers and you come out with the correct answer every time. Life is more like a story. It's unfolding every day, and we don't always understand the story, but we are going through this story, and each day is a new sentence, a new chapter, a new paragraph in the story, and your life really is a story. There's a number of authors who talk about this. Um, John Eldridge is one of them in in a lot of his books. Donald Miller um, also talks about this. There's another guy named Daniel Taylor. He writes this. He says, seeing our lives as stories is more than a metaphor. It's how we experience presents itself to us. See, story is how we relate to and, and how we make sense out of our lives. Let me give you an example. You come home one day and you pull up in front of your house into the driveway and there's your other car sitting in the driveway and the front fender is completely crumpled. What's the first thing you say? Well, no, not the first thing. What's the second thing you say? <laughs> what happened? What happened? Because you know there's a story to be told here. (laughs) Because when you left in the morning, that car looked perfectly fine. And now you come home and it's all crumpled up. And you want to know what happened. Tell me the story. This doesn't make sense. Something happened. And that's how we relate to life. In fact, if you really want to get to know somebody, you want to know their story. Where they were born. Where they grew up. Where they went to school. What they do for a living. See, it's story, how we make sense out of life. And so Jesus comes along as they're walking down the road, and they're they're talking about their story. They're discussing what the meaning of all of this is. And Jesus comes up, walked along with them, and he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? What he's saying is, what's your story? Tell me your story. And the answer, Cleopas says, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in there in these days? What's the matter with you? You've been living under a rock? You've been playing Farmville on Facebook too long? Don't you know what's happening in the real world? How did you miss all of this stuff? Now, Jesus could have come back with a real snappy answer. Okay, Like he could have said, well, as a matter of fact, I do know. I was there. At the very moment that it happened. (laughs) But he doesn't. Because it's not time yet for him to tell his story. He wants them to tell them their story. So he says, what things? What things? He said, about Jesus. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. See, at the heart of their story is those three words, we had hoped. And if you have lived any length of time, you know those three words in your story. 
We had hoped. We had hoped. We had hoped that this was going to be the home where we would raise our family together. But I lost my job. And now we've lost the house. And I feel like a failure. We had hoped. We had hoped the cancer was in remission. But we just got the results back. And the doctor tells us differently. We had hoped. We had hoped such great things for our kids. But one of them has taken a path that's estranged him from us and, and we can't even find him. We had hoped. We had hoped. I had hoped that we would have a lifetime together. But now he says he doesn't love me anymore. And he's walked out, taken his stuff and moved away. We had hoped. See, every one of us in this room have had those we had hoped moments where life suddenly takes a turn. The story takes a turn that we did not expect. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves in a story that doesn't make sense anymore. And sometimes it's choices and things that happen to us. Sometimes it's the result of the choices we have made ourselves. But we have hopes and we have dreams and it's not working out the way that we had thought. And I bet every one of us in this room know that part of the story. Because it's the heart of all of our stories. We had hoped. We had hoped. See, your life is a story. But the good news is, and maybe the part that you don't understand is, your story, my story, is part of a bigger story. Because your story is a part of God's story. See, we think we know our story. We think we understand it. We think we've got it all under control until something happens where it takes that turn. And that unexpected turn all of a sudden leaves us with questions and, and, and at loss for words and loss for understanding and with nothing makes sense. For some of us, it, it gets to that point where it feels like you have walked into a movie 45 minutes late and you don't know the characters and you don't know the storyline and nothing makes sense to you. It drives my wife crazy. Because I will come home sometimes. There'll be like 10 minutes left in a program she has been watching for a whole hour. And I come in and I say, what are you watching? And she tells me what she's watching. I said, well, what's it about? I'm trying to find out. <laughs> if I tell you the last 50 minutes, I'm going to miss the 10 that tell me how it all ends. And sometimes it feels that way. We're in the middle of a story that we thought we understood. And now, now it doesn't make any sense at all. And we feel a lot like Indiana Jones. I don't know. I'm just making it up as I go along. <laughs> when life's story, when your life story takes that turn and it doesn't make sense, what you need to understand is there's a bigger story. See, and that's, that's where Jesus comes in. They're disappointed. They're discouraged. Everything is hopeless, meaningless. And Jesus says to them, how foolish you are. Now, He's not insulting them, okay? He's not getting back at them for that comment about not knowing what's going on. What he's doing is he, is he is trying to explain something to them. He says, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? 
they understand what he's, he's not trying to insult them. What he's simply trying to understand is there's more to the story. See, the reason it doesn't make sense to you is there's a bigger story here. And, and you are a part of that story. It's the story of God. And he begins, it says, with, all, with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now he starts to tell them his story. Because it's only going to be in his story that their story is going to begin to make sense. Now, his story... The story of God is a very, very long story. There's a whole book called the Bible. And I don't have time this morning to go through the whole story. And I've been thinking this week, how can I sum it up? How can I put it in, in a brief way, in, in a five-minute explanation? And so I came up with five words. And if you want to take out your note papers and, and maybe um, write these words down, because this is the story. This is the story of God. This is the story that will change your story. The first word is this, God. It all begins with God. The story begins with God, who is good, who is loving, and who creates, creates humanity in his own image. And he created us in his image so that we would have a relationship. See, that's the thing about God. He is good and he is loving. And he created us for this relationship with him. That's the first word. Second word begins with an R. Rejection. See, God created us for this relationship with Him, but we have chosen our own way. We have rejected that relationship with Him. Because, see, to live in a relationship with Him means to allow Him to be the authority of our life. To believe that He truly does love us and His ways are best for us. And when He tells us something, it's because He has our best interests at heart. But we don't believe that. See, this is my story. Don't interfere with my story. I'm telling the story. I'm living the story, and I'm going to do it my way. Now, some of us say that out loud. I've got no time for God. I've got no interest in God. Life is just about me, and I'm going to live it the way that I want to. And some of us don't say that out loud, but the choices that we make and the way that we live our lives amounts to the very, very same thing. We don't say it out loud, but in essence, what we're saying is, God, I know what you say. But see, if I do it your way, I'm going to miss out on some fun. Because <laughs> I don't believe you really love me. I think you just want to pound me over the head and keep me in line. So I'm not going to trust your way. I'm going to reject your way. I'm going to do it my way. And we do it sometimes in outlandish ways. And sometimes we just do it in middle, little choices every day. But the bottom line is it all amounts to the same thing. We have rejected the love of God. We have rejected his best for us. And then comes the next word. And this is your theology word for the day. The word is atonement. And it's a theological term. But what it really means is to pay the price. You see, what we don't understand is that our rejection of God's ways leads us down a path, and that path has its consequences. There is always a price 
for our selfishness and our self-will. There is always a price to our pride. There always is. Sometimes other people pay that price because of our selfishness. Sometimes our price, the price takes its toll on us. But the truth of the matter is there is always a price to our selfishness, our self-will, our pride, our commitment to doing things our way. Somebody pays a price for it. Sometimes it's the loved ones around us. Sometimes it's ourselves. And the idea of atonement is the price has to be paid. Now, throughout the Old Testament, that price was paid through an animal sacrifice. I had somebody not too long ago in a conversation say, you know, I love the New Testament, but I, I don't like the Old Testament at all. I don't even like to, re- I, don't, I don't even read the Old Testament because it's so full, filled with all this blood and all this sacrifice stuff. And, I, and it just, it's just too much for me. I had somebody not too long ago say, ask me when we had our Good Friday service Friday night. Somebody asked me a week before that, she said, is it going to be depressing like it was last year? Not sure how to answer that question. (laughs) No, it's not. Not, Well, maybe a little. But you got to understand what's going on. See, here's the thing. People say, why is there all this sacrifice? Why is there all this blood? Why the cross? Why did Jesus die on a cross? Why all this brutality? Why, why? Because there is a price. And I think the truth of the matter is we do not fully comprehend the toll that our sin, that our rejection, that our rebellion takes on the human soul. We do not comprehend it at all. We severely underestimate what it truly does. And I think part of the institution of the sacrifice was not because the blood of bulls or goats or lambs atoned for our sin. It was, it was, it was to help us understand that, that it creates havoc, that it does damage. And unless you physically take this animal that is without spot and without wrinkle and you actually make it pay the price for you because part of the ceremony was that you put your hand on that animal's head and what you're saying is i am identifying all of my sin on this animal this animal is going to pay the price for my sin that's what atonement was all about and the reason god instituted that among others was to tell us and to help us see visually because we we don't think it that way it's just a little white lie it's not a big deal not really hurting anybody we tell ourselves that but there's a toll there's always a toll there's always a price and when god instituted the the atoning sacrifice what he wanted us to understand is there's a price to sin sin does damage on a level that you do not understand there's always a price forgot the R. Christ came and paid the ultimate sacrifice. See, that's what the cross was all about. That he who had no sin became sin for us. He took upon his shoulders all of the weight of your rejection and my rejection of God's ways. 
He's the only one who lived a human life totally pleasing to God. The only one who had no sin of his own. So when he paid that atoning sacrificial price, he paid it not for himself, but for you and for me. And the reason that he did that It's actually two words, so that we could have eternal life. Now, I really wanted to be, that he doesn't look very good, does it? I wanted to write everlasting life, but it wouldn't fit on the board. Because when we think of eternal life, too often we think of heaven. When I die, by and by, pie in the sky. But one of the things Jesus taught all through his ministry, and particularly in Luke's gospel, he kept talking about the kingdom of God and everlasting life, not in terms of something future, but of something that starts here and now. See, so eternal life is the term, but it, it, it's not about something that's going to happen some other time after I'm dead. It's something that is meant to begin right now. And that's why Jesus talks so often about the kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God is within you. Eternal life is something that you begin right here and right now. It's something that will change your story. Now, when you take them all that way, it's the story of grace. That's really what it's all about. And that story, by the way, has been told over and over and over and over and over and over again throughout human history. From the very, very beginning of creation, God creates a couple in his own image for relationship and they reject his ways. And so atonement has to be made. He comes later in human history to a man named Abraham. And he talked to him about, I will make a covenant. I will love you with an everlasting love. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will make of you a great nation. But Abraham had his times of rejection as well, doing it his own way. And atonement had to be made. Then to his family, who also had times of rejection of God's ways and needed atonement. And then to a nation, nation of Israel, who also had their times of rejection and atonement had to be made. See, that story has repeated itself over and over again all through human history. It's your story. It's my story. That's why we begin to relate to it. Because every one of us, loved by God, but we choose our own way. And atonement had to be made. When Jesus starts opening up scriptures and explaining all this and says, now, the final price has been paid. Now it makes sense. Now it makes sense. And it says, when he was at table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Because now the theological became personal. Now they began to realize, that's why my story doesn't make sense. I haven't seen the big picture. And the big picture is if you will let him, God's story can change your story. See, that's what it's all about. Because 
the story is not just about a suffering God. Yes, in Jesus, God suffers. But that's not all there is to the story. Because also in Jesus, God triumphs. See, Jesus takes on himself all that sin, that death, that hell can dish at him. And he rose from the dead. And he proved sin does not win. Death does not win. Failure does not win. Brokenness does not win. Loss, hurt, none of that wins. God wins. Love wins. Resurrection wins. And that's why they get so excited. Because all of a sudden they understand, this is my story. And the only way it's going to change is to find that new story. It's the story of a resurrected Christ who will not let death win. And that story has changed lives for the last 2,000 years. And if you're here this morning and your story is one of brokenness and failure and loss and guilt and shame, the resurrection says you can change your story. God can change your story. It's what Easter is all about. And it begins to resonate so deeply within him that after he disappears, they say to each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he told us, talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures? He says, didn't it, didn't, it just, didn't it just grab you? Didn't it just catch you in such a way that all of a sudden it begins to make sense now? It resonated because they understood my story is part of God's story. And his story can change mine. And it begins to so transform them. They become electrified with it. He says, they, it says, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Anybody remember how far away Jerusalem was? Has read it? Seven miles. And it's the end of the day. They already told Jesus, don't go any further because it's too far to travel. And they are so electrified, they are so transformed by the story that they cannot keep it to themselves. They've got to go tell somebody. And so they run and they come and say, there they found the 11 who, who, who's, and those with them assembled together and said, it's true, it's true. The Lord has risen. It's true. Now, if you're here this morning, and you're here because your, your mama dragged you along? Or, or your friend kept pestering you and you thought the only way you're going to get them off, your, off their back, off your back, is to show up on Sunday? At least I'll leave you alone for another year. And you keep wondering, why do my Christian friends keep harping on me? Why do they keep inviting me to church? Why do they just keep pestering me? Why don't they shut up and leave me alone? Because they love you. Because they love you. And they have found this story to be true. And it has transformed their story. It has changed their story. And they want you to know that there is a God who loves you. And though you have chosen your own way, God has paid a dear price. And Jesus Christ rose from the dead so you could have this new life and you could have this new story. Are they perfect people? Not by a long shot. Am I a perfect person? Absolutely. Not, <laughs> not, oh, not. Ask my wife, she'll be happy to tell you, not. 
But what's happened is God's rewriting their story. See, if you will let him, he will change your story. He will set a new path for your life. He will restore you. And one of the advantages of having been a pastor in the same place for 20 plus years is I have seen that story happen over and over again. I have seen addicts and alcoholics become free of the addiction that was gripping them. I have seen lives transformed. I have seen marriages be put back together. I have seen families restored because their story's been changed by God's story. And it's not only something that has changed them internally, it has changed their whole outlook on life. And I have seen people who are pretty selfish and pretty greedy all of a sudden now become generous. People who cared very, very little about hurting people and and hungry people and and poor people suddenly now take an interest in and serve and help them. I have seen people give up two weeks of their vacation and spend their own money to go serve people in another part of this world. I have seen people walk for water to drill wells that will change people's lives. I've seen it. And I know that it's true. Because that's what God's story does. When you let it, change your story. The Apostle Paul put it this way. Anyone who is joined to Christ is a new being. The old is gone. The new has come. It's new. So my question for you this morning is, what's your story? Would you like a new story? Because Paul said, if anyone chooses Christ... Something new happens. And that can be yours this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. 